Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who is kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter 19, The Hungarian Horntail. Jen is back with us. Hey guys. I remember reading this for the first time, and just the chapter title got me so excited. I'm like, oh, Hungarian Horntail, this is going to be so cool. <laughs> uh, and it is kind of cool. It's a, it's a neat little chapter. We get a time passage. And you know how, if you've been listening to all of our podcasts, you know how I love a good time passage. <laughs> because two weeks pass, roughly, and uh, you never know. That could have been Millicent Bolstrode's moment to shine oh in those two weeks. That could have been Mandy Brocklehurst's moment. That could have been that Summers kid from Hufflepuff's moment <laughs> to shine and have a real moment. And we don't get it because time passed. So, gosh darn it, we're moving on. Uh <laughs> So we get the results, the blowback from Rita's article, and uh, all of the uh, interesting wording that she uses. We get some more trio drama. Uh, we get a Hogsmeade trip, a visit to Hagrid, and uh, Sirius. Yeah. Uh, she jumps into the Gryffindor common room, and, so to speak. So Rita's article. We've already gotten a taste of it with her article about Arthur and, and her articles about Arthur. And now this time Harry is literally front and center. He's got a whole front page full picture of him, plus three pages of text. Yes. To which the other champions get one line at the very end, and their names are misspelled. Solid. That's rough. That is not great. That's so rough. Uh, The picture thing was foreshadowed in the last chapter, because she kept pulling Harry to the front of one of the pictures. Um, I, I gotta say, though, if, if I'm Cedric, Crumb, or Fleur... Uh, Cedric wasn't even mentioned, like, at all. It was just Crumb and Fleur at the end. Yeah. Cedric was not... Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'd be a little salty about that. Oh, I'd be super mad. I'd be... I'd be and I don't know if it's at Harry or the... Pro, I'd probably be at all of the above, quite honestly. I'd be like, what the heck, guys? Come yeah. Um, I think if I didn't know Harry, I would be mad at Harry. But I think if I knew Harry, I would just be mad at... Technically, none of these three really know him. Uh, Cedric's obviously he's, gotten the most. Yeah. Uh, but Crumb uh, uh, honestly gets so much coverage, he's probably honestly thrilled with it. He might be relieved. He's like, I'm flying under the radar here? Sweet. He kept <laughs> like, slinking to the back of the group photo in the previous chapter, so I really don't think he wanted the limelight. You know, there's probably something there on Crumb that we should probably delve into at some point. I thought about that reading this, reading that chapter and reading those points about him, and I'm like, there's, you know, we should probably dig into Crumb at some <laughs> point. But anyway... Not now. So, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of attention on Harry, a lot of negative attention on Harry. And yet, you know who's a source of some bright, positive comments? Hermione? Yes. But <laughs> Cho. Yes. Cho is a source of positivity. Yep. Uh, he snaps at her because he thinks a negative comment's about to come. But he doesn't intentionally snap at her. He snaps because someone... He doesn't know who calls him, right. and he snaps because someone's calling him. He's like, hey, Harry! Yeah, and then it happens to right. be his little crush. Uh, I don't think it's that little anymore. I think it's, uh, there's there's some vibes. There's some vibes going on. On that line in the notes that you gave me, I put hearts over the eyes. I'm sure that's what Harry is doodling in his potions notebook. Definitely. Instead of listening to state. <laughs> Hermione, though, has, uh, like we mentioned in the last episode, has carried these two chapters yep. i mean with her helping harry out the the next morning getting him away from everybody with how she has handled uh this chapter with rita's article coming out and i think uh one of the creevies i can't remember which one one of the creevies gave the note about like oh yeah well he hangs out with hermione granger a whole lot huh. and then she just went right away with that hermione handler's handles herself in such a dignified way that is so far beyond her years. Like, I know 
women in general mature faster than than guys. But this is ahead of that game. I, I mean... This is phenomenal. This is otherworldly yeah. good. She has a lot of grace dealing with this. I and mean, she's dealing with a lot. Her two best friends are fighting. She's still got homework on top of things. Now she's... You know, being mentioned in the Daily Prophet. You got the Slytherins upping their 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 slanders and yep. their slurs. Yeah. Uh, and like the whole mudblood stuff, but also, uh, you know, you get Pansy Parkinson making aggressive comments. Yep. Not so under her breath. No. You know, it's uh, how would how would you have dealt with any of this at in high school? Not well. And not even in high school. You're a freshman in high school, yeah. and the spotlight is on you. I don't know that I deal well with that now. That's very fair. It's a lot to put on someone. It's so much. All at once. It's, um, uh, she really has done a phenomenal job. Yeah. And as you said, um, she's dealing with a lot with Harry and Ron feuding, which they're still feuding hard after two weeks. Yep. And Harry notes what friendship is like with Hermione versus Ron, and he goes, a lot less drama and more library. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about this that he notices while he's in the library with Hermione is that... So we talked last chapter about maybe Crumb not being the brightest bulb. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's in the library a lot. He is in the library a lot. I Crumb has been so to the side of things. Yeah. Even when he was literally the focal point of everybody in the world at the Quidditch World Cup, he was still kind of like the side show compared to what was going on in the box and all yeah. conversations and all of that. And Crumb has just been very, like, chill to the side. And Karkaroff's trying to put him up front on Front Street. And he's just like, no, nah, I don't need any of that. You know, whatever. Yep. Uh, there's, there's a lot to Crumb here that's maybe a little bit more in- interesting and intriguing than they, the characters, or we, the readers, are really clued into yeah. at this point. Yes. We really do need to do a Crumb deep dive at some point. <laughs> It gets to the point of the year where a Hogsmeade trip is set to take place, and Hermione wants the three of them to go together. Harry is aggressively against it, but agrees to go under the cloak with Hermione only. And they enter into the three broomsticks. Harry gets a seat. Hermione somehow finds him at the table and sits next to him. Uh, Ron is across hanging out with Dean and Seamus, which I think is just interesting how he just kind of went from one trio and... How do you think that works? Because Dean and Seamus are, like, tight. Yeah. Do you think they're just, like, by themselves going, like, why is Ron hanging out with us all of a sudden? Probably. A little invading our bro time and... I wonder if it throws off their dynamic at all, or I wonder how much, like, we see Harry's perspective with this and Harry does kind of have times where he's alone and off and doing hero things so maybe it isn't as unnatural maybe this is who Ron hangs out with much like we don't really see Ron and Hermione's friendship blossom at times because Harry's not around to witness it that's true that is true I just wonder if they're like well because Ron's not in the best mood either that I think would be more of a of a downer than anything else. Yep. Unless he's like faking it to like try to make Harry jealous that he's like off having a good time. Doesn't seem to be the case though. No, because she would have mentioned it. Yeah. But... Doesn't seem to be like laughing it up. But anyway, so the big thing about this Hogsmeade trip is Hermione spots Hagrid, who's bent low over the table conversing with Moody, mm-hmm. and they get up to leave. Moody stops him turns to where Hermione and Harry are sitting and kind of like points in that direction. So they go over. And they immediately find out that Moody can see Harry even underneath the cloak. Yep. Which I have issues with. Why? I have issues with it. It's spoilery. Okay. So we'll get to that in the spoiler section. But I do have issues with it. Yeah. Um, but him and Hagrid kind of bend low and kind of give Harry like a little... Uh, some some little messages. Hagrid's, though, specifically, are like, hey, meet me at midnight tonight, and uh, I got something to show you. Yeah. Okay. We should mention that the note from Sirius 
about meeting in the Gryffindor common room was set for this particular same night at 1 a.m. Yes. Not a lot of time. It's very little time in between. Um, but Harry agrees to it. Hermione's like, it'll be fine. You'll be able to get back. I'm sure it's nothing. It's probably showing you last ended screw progress or something. Um, even though it's odd that it would be at midnight. That's the latest time that Hager's ever requested a meeting. Yeah, that's a bit. Usually it's around dinner time and he's got some rock cakes and it's like, yeah. come over for some tea and rock cakes. Yeah. <laughs> now, anyway. one other thing that we also should mention on this Hogsmeade trip is that we do see Moody uh, practicing what he preaches and he is sitting at the bar but not drinking anything from the bar. He has his own little flask that he's drinking out of and he's getting side eye from the barmaid. Yes, um, Madame Rosmirta does not like no. uh, someone sitting in her bar and not partaking in her <laughs> in her crafts. So, yeah, that is a note. Yeah, but um, it's nice to see him being consistent. You know, he's not out. He's he's always preaching constant vigilance, and and he does. And he does, and and that's what Harry notes. Is like, well, this makes sense. Yeah, this tracks. I mean, you saw when you first saw him, he goes up to a Hogwarts staff table, and sniffs the sausage. Yep, because he's not sure. That these house elves might be, you know, whatever. <laughs> Snape might have put something in his sausage. Um, anyway. So, yeah. So, we get to the visit to Hagrid. Harry notices that Hagrid has attempted to clean himself up, though not to the degree that he was earlier with the furry brown suit and the axle grease hair. Although he doesn't notice that he had still combed his hair and left bits of comb in the hair. I can't imagine what his hair must be. Must be like, like what condition it's in if it's breaking off chunks of comb. I don't know if there's like a substance in the wizarding world that's like, I'm gonna break into the Marvel world here, but like vibranium or like adamantium <laughs> that's just like, he can make a cone out of this just, and like, cause. Just buzz your hair and start over. It also might be just a little bit tougher given his nature. So he's just not taking care of it at all? You gotta condition it. If your hair has knots in it that are so tough that comb teeth are breaking off in it, you gotta do something. Does Hogsmeade have like a barber? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> well, this is a question I, I brought up last time in my last uh, random thought is no one gets a haircut at Hogwarts ever. You never hear of it. I can't believe I'm bringing this up again. I'm sorry. <laughs> you never hear of haircuts at Hogwarts. What happens? I don't know. Anyway. This is more proof that it makes no sense. Anyway. I digress. Calming down. Deep breaths. Okay. So Harry notices that Madame Maxine is going to be part of this equation. And I want to point out Hagrid trying to speak French. Adorable. I'm assuming he meant like uh, bonsoir, or uh, like that. Bonsoir. Yeah, I can't believe I pronounced that correctly. But you know what? Well if done. I mispronounced it, I wouldn't have said bongsoir. Okay, would not have pronounced it that horribly. No, not not bongsoir. 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 Like, uh, yeah, I'm not even. So close and yet so far. So so far. <laughs> so Harry's like, you got to be kidding me. I'm. I was asked to be part of. A date? Is that what essentially I'm being asked to be part of? They, because she takes his arm too as they begin to walk off. Yeah. And they go into the Forbidden Forest and they go deep and Harry's like counting the minutes like, hey, this is stupid. They won't even notice if I'm gone. I could probably just leave. And then they notice a clearing with paddocks and a bunch of wizards that look to be around campfires. Yeah. Large campfires. And then they get closer and they notice four dragons. And these four dragons are the Hungarian Horntail, which is black with a spiked tail. You get the common Welsh Green, which is green and presumably from Wales. Crazy. I know. Uh, Swedish Short Snout, blue-gray uh, in color. The Chinese Fireball, which is red. And uh, they all seem to be nesting mothers. By the way, who's giving us all of this information? Charlie Weasley! Yay! Yes! makes an appearance, which is awesome. What did you think about the uh, introductions to the, the dragons here? Uh, very intimidating. Um, I like that they're all kind of varied in description. I believe the Welsh green was described as being very smooth. So it does mention that 
there were enclosures fenced with thick planks of wood. Torrents of fire were shooting into the dark sky from their open fanged mouths, 50 feet above the ground. 50 foot tall dragons. Which is insane. Crazy. Uh, there was a silvery blue one, which again is a Swedish short snout with long pointed horns snapping and snarling at the wizards on the ground. A smooth scaled green one, which was writhing and stamping with all its might. A red one, which was the, the Chinese fireball, uh, with an odd fringe of fine gold spikes around its face, uh, with, uh, which was shooting mushroom-shaped fire clouds into the air. And a gigantic black one, more lizard-like than the others, which was nearest to them, and that's the one with the spiked tail as well. And yeah, so ha- Hagrid is there trying to glean any information that he can from Charlie uh, about, you know, what are these dragons? He's genuinely fascinated by the dragons. And he's like, hey, what are they? What are kind of the, some of their traits? What are their, you know, things that make them unique or special or whatever? He's standing there with, like, hard eyes just watching these dragons. Oh, yeah, he's he's lost. He's yeah, forgotten he's, about Maxine. He's oh, forgotten yeah. about Harry. He's like, Way more I into the dragons. In. Yep. And uh, Maxine, at some point, goes off towards the paddocks. First of all, it's seven to eight wizards per dragon. Yeah. Fully, like, fully adult wizards surrounding these dragons. And then it takes all of them to shoot stunning spells at these dragons to calm them down enough. Not even, like, fully knock them out, but just calm them enough so that they can, like, lay on the ground and, like, get them fully, like, secured. Seven to eight fully grown adult wizards to take down one of these. Okay. That's intense. Uh, 30 total wizards. So when... Maxine goes around to the paddocks and looks at these dragons. Charlie's like, dude, you're not supposed to bring her. Yep. Do you not think she's going to go and tell her her champion about what this all is? Uh, and Hingard's like, well, you know, uh, it's not that bad. <laughs> like, whatever. Yeah. It's fine. Do you think he thought about that before dragging her along? Or do you think he was just so consumed with, like, sharing the dragons with her because he's got a crush on her and a crush on the you dragons. you got to shoot your shot, and this was a hell of a shot this to shoot. This was a good shot. This was a good shot. Um, now, my other question to you is, do you think Maxine is playing Hagrid to get information, potentially? I, you know, I kind of got that impression from her. Yeah? A bit. Um, and I can't remember exactly why I felt that way. At the very, at a bare minimum, I guess I thought it was a little bit suspicious that suddenly they're buddy buddy. But he's taken such good care of her Palomino horses. He has. So. She keeps complimenting him on it. Mm-hmm. It's a whole thing. So Charlie's a little confused. Understandably but, so. But it does reveal the fact that they're nesting mothers. So he presumes it's going to be something egg-related or protection-related, since they're all seeming to be pretty... And they, I think they put, like, several silver eggs? Granite. Granite eggs. Yeah. In each paddock. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, there seems to be a theme <laughs> growing here, even though he, he himself is not 100% sure exactly what it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, but he has, you know, his thoughts. And he's like, oh, no, no, don't, don't worry. The champions will be fine. There will be... Uh, ex- uh, people around. There'll be all of us around, each one with extinguishing spells ready to go. Like, they'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, Harry's a little unconvinced. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't feel terribly safe in that scenario. This is another... If I'm going to bed that night, I'm going to be staying up all night thinking, I have to go up against a 50-foot dragon? Yeah. What? Pass. No. Hard pass. So, yeah, so him staying with this little troop here has turned out to be quite fruitful for Harry instead of bolting. Yes. Could you imagine if he didn't? That would that would be bad. Oh, that'd be so that'd bad. That would be really unfortunate. Hagrid just sees him at Cara Magical Creatures the next day. He's like, so, what'd you think? <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 it was a fine walk in the woods. That's all you have to say. Yeah, it, it'd be a little weird. And he'd be in a whole bunch of trouble. But, um... I have another comment about that, but that's spoiler. <laughs> a lot of spoiler potential here. Yeah. So he does end up getting back to uh, and through the portrait hole in time uh, for his meeting with Sirius. Luckily, Hermione has ensured that the common room is clear 
without the use of dung bombs like they had potentially planned. Once again, Hermione holding it down. Yep. Uh, yeah, for real. Uh, Hermione gains the MVP award oh, yeah. for, for this, uh, for sure. And Sirius's visit, which he pops up into the fire, uh, similar to Amos Diggory uh, mm-hmm. several chapters ago, long time ago actually now, but we can get a lot from this conversation. We do. And it's a relatively short conversation, all things considered, but Sirius comes with some info. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like how Harry's like, dragons, I have to deal with dragons. And then Sirius is like, dragons we can deal with. Karkaroff, however. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love the way he so nonchalantly just brushes off dragons and is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Whatever. But here's the real issue. Yeah. He reveals that Karkaroff was a Death Eater. And that Moody had caught him, which would explain some of the uh, tension-filled interactions that we have seen so far. And the reason why Karkaroff is not in prison right now is because he gave up others to earn his freedom. He gave up other Death Eaters. Uh, We don't know who, we don't know what context, but uh, that's how he has his current freedom. Sirius also refers to, and this is a really interesting quote that I really respect and like, Sirius Black calls Moody, quote, the best horror the Ministry of Magic has ever had. Yeah. That is a massive compliment. That's high praise. That is very high praise. And, you know, we got high praise from Bill earlier in the book saying, like, no, Moody was yeah, Moody was intensely awesome at his prime. And now we get Sirius saying here, like, no, no, not just awesome, the best ever. Yeah. He is the goat of horrors. I also like that it's serious saying that, um, and because Moody has become a bit of a, a laughing stock in the later years, mm-hmm. um, and they say you know he he jumps at everything and he hears things where there's nothing to, you know there's he's very skittish and he's garnered this reputation of you know he has been who's maybe a little bit of a crackpot now thinks everything is out to get him right that's the whole Skeeter article at the beginning of the book. But I, I kind of like the parallel of, like, Sirius still believes in Moody, still believes that he's the best, or Sirius had no one in his corner to believe him when things were against him, but Sirius is still in Moody's corner when things are, the tide has turned on Moody a bit. Yeah. So it's, it's nice to see Sirius being the change that he wants to see in the world. It, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, we get a Bertha Jorkins mention. Woo, Bertha. Anna, we're looking for that Bertha Jorkins, uh, <laughs> that whole Bertha Jorkins deep dive that you have. <laughs> it's coming soon. But we learned that Bertha was a few years older than uh, our marauders at school, and that Bertha was a little, uh, I think he put it, nosy yet an idiot. Yep. Which is a bad combination, yes. as you put it. I love that description of her. He's just not pulling any punches. So, yep, she was nosy and an idiot. She could really get in trouble. Yep. Uh, it's a really bad combo when you know things and you're stupid. Yep. So, <laughs> so he also mentions that he's quote unquote hearing things about you know the, the tournament and just things. I don't, well, that's the thing. I don't know where exactly he's hearing these things. Where is he getting his info from? Do we know where he is right now? No, not well. We know he's in Britain. We know he's in... He's around somewhere. He's around. We don't know specifically where And we know he broke into a wizard's house. Okay. That's all we know. Okay. But we don't know exactly where. Yeah, so this is interesting. Yeah, so um, do you have any thoughts on where he might be getting his info? We'd said, is he conversing with Lupin? Is he conversing with Dumbledore, who always has his ear to the ground? Who knows? Could be either. Could be both. Could be someone different. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, But... I just find it amazing that Sirius is, uh, quote-unquote, hearing things. Yep. And he has, quote-unquote, sources. <laughs> I love that he has sources. I love that he's like, I'm back in this world and I'm I mean, not he, hiding. I mean, he did glean a lot from being in Azkaban. Because he mentions, like, oh, the Death Theaters don't like you. Yeah. But they also really dislike Karkaroff. Yeah. Because uh, Karkaroff's the reason for many of them being there. And it's like, there's no love lost for him there. And he couldn't see Karkaroff necessarily going back to Voldy unless he knew Voldy was, like, here. Yeah. So Sirius is a little, like, Karkaroff's a problem, 
I don't know how much of a problem he actually is. Yeah. But he's someone to keep on your radar and not lose track. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting that he had all this info from just hearing things in Azkaban, which is, like, how is Azkaban set up? Is it, like, a regular prison where it's, like, cell, cell, cell? I always imagined it more, like, isolating. I imagined it, like, cell, cell, cell. But I also feel like it's weird that Azkaban would be as social as it potentially is, because that would be a way to beat it. Because you could just literally, I mean, if you just send a bunch of Death Eaters there that are presumably all friends, you're now just talking with your friend to try to get through it. Okay, here's a really dark question. Do we know that they're actually socializing, or do we think that when they're being tortured and depressed, they're just, like, shouting out information to try to stop it? Depressed, yes. I don't know that they're being tortured necessarily, other than by their own thoughts. Well, yeah, that was kind of what I meant. <laughs> Fair enough. That makes you more prone to trying to use information you have to, like, get attention? I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to imagine that, like, they would have, like, you know, yard time where all of the Death Eaters are, like, having a picnic or whatever. No, I'm not... I'm not. I don't think it's that. No. Uh, as hilarious as that looks in my mind, <laughs> but I don't think it's that. I think they pretty much stay in those cells, but yeah. it's just like a, like having conversations or having someone else there that you know mm-hmm. would help you through the process of being there versus like, you're like, hey, Grid, you are alone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, know. I don't know how much having other people really helps against Dementors, though. That's the other thing. I mean, that's true. I mean, they feed on happiness. So if that yeah. instead makes you happy... Okay, then they're then just going to suck uh, it up again. Right. Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting... Yeah. That's a side tangent that I didn't <laughs> intend to go on. But there it is. So, yeah. So uh, Sirius goes all through all of the other things that Harry should be worried about. Then finally gets to the dragons. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The dragons, the dragons. So here's what you got to do about the dragons. Yep. And then Ron comes down. Yep. But we don't know it's Ron. So he hears footsteps coming down the dormitory, and Harry's like, you gotta go, someone's here. And he goes, right as, like, Sirius is about to tell him how to get past dragons. Which is just a wonderful writing device of just, like, here's the end. Nope. Yep. (laughs) So, uh, and then we find out that it's Ron, which just further drives the wedge between the two, because Harry's like, you have no idea what you just walked into. And the thing that could have saved my life is now gone, and I don't know if I'm going to get that back before the actual... So I have a thing that I want to point out with Ron. So first of all, I want to say, I actually was very amused by Harry's anger towards Ron in this scenario, because I felt like it's just one of those. So I thought, that, so in the previous chapter, uh, there's a part during the wand weighing where when they do Fleur's wand and they discover that she has a hair from her grandmother that's a Vila in her wand, Harry goes, oh, she is a Vila. And then it's Harry making a mental note to tell Ron. Then he remembered that Ron wasn't speaking to him. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I like that Harry still has the initial instinct of, like, I should tell this to Ron. And he's, oh, wait, shoot, we're fighting. You know, like, he's still thinking about Ron and, uh-huh. and there's still that deep pattern there. And then, on the flip side of this, so Ron comes down and interrupts him, and he says, Who are you talking to? And Harry says, What's that got to do with you? Why? What are you doing down here at this time of night? And Ron goes, I just wondered where you... And then breaks off. And I thought that it was cute that even though Ron has just disrupted this moment with Harry and Sirius, and it really didn't turn out the way that he wanted it to, he saw that Harry wasn't in bed, and he got up and wanted to look for him. Mm-hmm. So there's very clearly these threads of they both still want to be friends. Yes. Um, but the hard part about getting into fights with your friends is that someone has to blink first, and yes. they are both failing at blinking first. Yes. And this is one of the scenarios where I'm fairly empathetic with Ron. I mentioned that um, in the last chapter, but I think it's really difficult when you get upset over something and it's with your best friend and time passes and you realize that you were wrong and that you didn't handle the situation in the way that you wanted to handle the situation mm-hmm. it's a it's it's a hard thing to to figure out how to navigate sure um and i was in that scenario and i had no idea how to navigate it and it felt really weird um, but it was also, I had someone who was like Harry, who also 
was feeling a, a similar way towards, you know, we're in this fight, but we still want to be friends. And it was a nice little, it's a very nice feeling when we both put that, the fight aside and we came together like people and mm-hmm. talked it out. So that was just, it was one of those things where it was like, oh man, like this really hits a, hits home for me. Cause I, rem- I know how Ron's feeling right now where Ron got mad and feels bad about it and wants to be friends and doesn't know how to do it. Like that, I, mm, I'm mm-hmm. very empathetic towards that feeling. Sure. I'm not normally empathetic towards Ron cause I feel like Ron can be kind of a jerk sometimes, but like this time, hundred percent, like no, totally get it. I appreciate that take a lot. I find myself, this is, I guess, one of those times where I put myself in Harry's shoes in the series. Okay. Because I identify with Harry's reaction to this whole thing more, and I find myself annoyed with Ron and a little angry at Ron Yeah. through this and being like, dude, like, come on. What? Forget the logical things, which I said on the last episode of, there's one real easy way to figure out, because you're with Harry all the time, real easy way to figure out if he put his name in the cup when you were asleep. Just go to the fat lady and be like, hey, did anyone leave last night? <laughs> Real easy way to figure this out. Yeah. But aside from all that, it's like, goes back to what we talked a lot about in the last episode of just, we had a time jump two weeks. Mm -hmm. And there hasn't seemed to be any real progress here other than, yes, some emotions are starting to uh, break down a little bit and they're starting to weaken their uh, bravado a little bit with this. Yeah. Uh, And you see kind of like a little breaks in the armor cracks in the armor but it still goes back to it's two weeks on and what we talked about last chapter of guys just work this stuff out it's not that hard it can be really difficult when you when you're in in a it's just it's it's such an awkward situation to be in yeah you're not around well well, in this scenario they are kind of around each other 24 7 so it does lead to a lot of interaction i will give you this once it's gotten to this two week point that almost makes it harder than easier i think yes because now it's dragged on and now it's like now it's a thing right now it's like a full-blown thing instead of just taking care of it right at the get which is again how like how i said was usually how i think guys usually handle things is like i'm mad at you i'm mad at you too Madness ensues, and then it's over. Yes. And then it's, like, over, over until the next thing happens. Right. Now this is dragged on. Now this is a whole separate yeah. bag of issues. Yeah. So. It's difficult when you don't have the tools to fully articulate how you're feeling. And at least I'm going to make a leap for both of them and say they haven't really been in this position before where you're fighting with someone that you consider to be, like, you know, your best friend or, you know, he's kind of, like, another member of the Weasley household and he's been over to their house a bunch of times and his mom really like, like mm-hmm. there are additional levels here that just make it really, if you've never been in that situation before with that person, it can be really difficult to figure out how you're supposed to handle it. Can I ask you a couple of periphery questions here? Yeah, sure. What do you think Fred and George think about this whole thing? Cause they like Harry. They like Harry a lot. Yeah. They probably think they'll, I would imagine that they just think they'll get over it. They're just like, ah, oh, this will be fine. But yeah, this will blow over. I mean, obviously, they are they have to go with Ron. No, they're on Harry's side. I mean, the, they, I mean, they might agree with Harry's side. Yeah. In that, oh, it's so cool that you're the, the champion. Yeah. But also, that they're going to take their brother's side. In I like, don't, you know what I mean? I don't think they're taking any side. Well, in like, we don't see Fred and George hanging out with Harry. No, but... That doesn't mean... I mean, we see such a limited perspective from Harry for all of this. It doesn't mean that they're not talking to him. Do you think Ron, while hanging out with Dean and Seamus... I'm just going to keep firing questions at you. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) Do you think Ron, hanging out with Dean and Seamus... Do you think Ron has those same thoughts of like, Oh, I need to tell Harry this. Oh, wait. I can't tell Harry this. Oh, 100%. There's no way that he doesn't. Do you think Dean and Seamus are like, dude, what's what's up with you and Harry? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> like, well, I mean, maybe. It depends on what they... We don't know how they feel about Harry. I would imagine that they're also tri- fairly neutral. Can I ask you another question that I'm literally just coming up with off the top of my yeah, head right now? Yeah, go nuts. I love I'm just, this. I'm just keep asking you questions. That's fine. fine. Where's Ginny? <laughs> yeah, I, we, I, we oh, like, never... She's been gone this entire book, except for like being at the camp at the Quidditch World Cup. Yeah, I have my own... She's been a no-show. I have my feelings about that. What are the feelings about that? 
We can talk about him in the spoiler section. Okay, fair enough. I mean, Ginny was the book in Chamber of Secrets. Uh-huh. For obvious reasons. Well, but we didn't know that she was the book until the end. Right. But then, like, Prisoner of Active Band, I guess she's there, but I guess we don't really ever focus on her now that I'm thinking about it. Like, there's very few moments where we're like, Ginny! She's very much in passing in that one, and then she pop. Well, again, we gotta do spoilers for this. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, that was a question that literally just popped in my head. So <laughs> I, I digress. Anyway, we should move on to the spoilers. Yeah. So let's end it here. Uh, we will kill the spare and move on to spoilers. So be right back. Kill the spare! All right, so we're back with the spoiler section of chapter 19, The Hungarian Horntail, and we are going to continue on with the Ginny stuff because that was a illuminating factor that we just thought of at the end of the non-spoiler there. Yes, just flowing right into that. Um, well, so she she's the book, like you said, in Chamber of Secrets. Mm-hmm. She's... Nah, is she in Prisoner of Azkaban? She's present. She's there. Um, she does end up... She shows up in this one, at least, for the Yule Ball. Yeah. Uh, the Quidditch uh, World Cup, the Yule Ball. Yeah. Again, I would list her as present, though. Yeah. Not really, like a factor. Largely just present. I really like that um, she and Neville and Luna get a lot more time in Order of the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the positive thing I have to say about that book. Is that Well, she gets another major role in your favorite book, too. That's so, oh man, I have a lot of thoughts on that, too. Um, when I was, <laughs> She's very excited right now. Oh, I am. When I was reading it initially, that was one of the reasons I really liked Half-Blood Prince. Yeah. I haven't liked Ginny as much on my rereads. Interesting. Yeah. Which I wasn't expecting. Because I really, really like in Half-Blood Prince when they finally get together. Like, I, I love right. how that's written. Um, and I love the, you know, the hints leading up to it. And, like, the I, I do enjoy The little that. flirtation techniques. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And I like how she plays it. I like that she plays cool and maybe a little hard to get. Another one where Hermione's a background MVP. She's care- um, so I follow Let the... Let me give you some pro tips on my friend real quick. <laughs> like... I'm, gonna, I'm gonna plug something and I have, have absolutely not read this and I'm, I know nothing about any of this and I saw it in passing and I just thought it was really neat and I bookmarked it to check out later. Okay. But I follow Harry Potter on, the, on Reddit. Okay. And someone is going through and rewriting the books from Hermione's perspective. Interesting. Okay. So I have it bookmarked because I do want to check it out, um, but I haven't read it, so I don't, you know, I'm not vouching for it, but it sounded really cool. I liked the thought process behind it because she really does do a lot in these books to carry things and, and a lot of interpersonal support. Can you do me a favor? Yeah. Can you go back and read it? this? Yeah. Can you just put little tally marks on how many times Hermione says the words, oh, these boys? Sure. <laughs> Or some some iteration of thereof. That. Yeah. Yes, I will track that for you. It's probably a lot. It's probably most of the book. Um, no, but so you know, she's got a hand in, in Harry and Ginny and stuff, and I, I like that Ginny becomes more prominent. I don't really like that Ginny kind of gets tossed aside after Half Blood Prince, and that she doesn't really factor in Deathly Hallows as much. Mm. Um, I wish that they. I appreciate that they kept the trio intact. I wish that they had kind of evolved it a little bit to be a bit more inclusive of Neville and Luna and Ginny. Because I thought that was a dynamic in Order of the Phoenix. That was really the one dynamic I liked about Order of the Phoenix. I liked when they're at the Department of Mysteries, and it's the six of them, and they're working as a team, and it's just, it's expanded now. It's not just Harry, Hermione, and Ron. They've mm-hmm. got additional people who are adding different things to it and perspectives, and, you know, Luna's kind of out there, but in a, you know, nice way, and Ginny adds another athletic, uh, you know, you're probably similar to Julie that instead of all of the camping scenes, you'd rather be back at Hogwarts. Infinitely. That's the... I I could not stand that in Deathly Hallows. The camping... And the movie made it so much worse. But... You didn't like the camping scene where they're dancing? No. <laughs> I, d- I didn't like the camp... The camping was like the whole first movie. It was too much. It was too much camping. Put back some camping. It was really glamping. It was glamping. Hard they quote. did have a pretty cool looking tent. The so the the this could be the quote we pull from this <laughs> yeah, one. They did have a pretty cool looking tent, um, which well, was so, featured here in this book. So I found out that the I think it's the director of Deathly Hallows was uh, believed that Harry and Hermione should be together, and then yeah, that was he put his that scene. Yeah, was that his nod to it? Yep. But um, 
I get where he's coming from, but I don't mind Hermione and Ron together and Harry and Ginny together. I just wish it was developed more. I feel like Ginny just kind of like, when she's in it, she's a good part of it. and then But she just, she only gets brought in occasionally. She's not a consistent part of it. And I, I that's no, what I don't... I agree with you completely, because literally when I said that comment in the non-spoiler, I'm like, wait, yeah. why have we gotten a no-show from her? Like, yeah. really? Yeah. That makes zero sense. Yes. Like, not even mentioned. Yeah. Like, no, not even that she exists. Very absent. <laughs> like, it's just weird. And that's the, th I wish that they would have built it up a little bit more. So it's like, okay, Ginny is, you know, still seen as a little sister in book two. But then in book three, maybe she just is a little bit more involved in it. Do you think she had, like, four. what do you think her thoughts are on him getting picked to be champion? No, right. I would love to know. Right? Yeah. Like, uh, just just throw some things in so we don't forget that she exists. But she gets pretty sidelined because I know that we're getting from Harry's perspective, and Harry's focused on not dying and Cho. Yeah, those are his two things. So which, he still doesn't see Ginny as a romantic partner, which is fine. But we we still need to see glimpses of them interacting. Like, uh, speaking of, yeah. I'm gonna have some hot takes. I am just feeling it now. <laughs> I'm gonna have some hot takes in the next book. About Cho. Yeah. I feel it. Boy. It's ought to be good. Yeah. And it's it's starting here. Okay. Uh, in this chapter. Are you pro Cho or? Do I, do I want to spoil the whole thing? Well, I guess we got a while to go before the fifth book. No one's going to remember this. <laughs> it's not like it's recorded or anything. You don't have to say your whole, like, dissertation on it. Just give um, us your theses. Okay. So thesis. I, I have usually always been in the camp of everyone else of okay. like eh, cho not a huge fan doesn't really do a whole lot for me as a character whatever yeah i've usually been in that camp which for the record i was also in that camp for trelawney as well <laughs> pre-book three and then i started reading specific details regarding trelawney i'm like wait a second yeah have i always been too harsh on trelawney not that no but <laughs> we'll a, say that's that. an eye roll and a shake of the head for me <laughs> I'm not saying it. I was wrong about Trelawney. Just too harsh on Trelawney. I know. Keywords. You, you're just, you're teeing it up. I know, I know. So, yes, uh, I, I'm starting to think that maybe I will have the same sort of defenses for Cho. Okay. And I don't know that yet, because again, I gotta like get into, I know, I remember broad details about plots and character plot lines and how they all go okay but uh, if i haven't said this already in the podcast it has been a while since i've actually read all of these books from okay. start to finish uh especially some of the books i haven't read in a long long time so details have slipped my mind and i'm starting to read these and i'm like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. i thought one thing yeah Reading this again in a different perspective, and this is why we're doing this, reading this in a different perspective when I'm older and I've experienced life a little bit more, and I'm starting to read these, I'm like, wait a second. Why did I think that way before? Yeah. And why am I thinking differently now? And then getting into that. Yeah. And that's what these discussions are for. <laughs> uh, but no, reading this chapter and just being like, Cho was the only positive person outside of Gryffindor to say, like, something not negative to Harry? Yeah. Are, are we, like putting her on the stake like burning her a little too soon <laughs> like that like let's let's play this out a little bit and mm -hmm. see where this goes details wise do people have a problem with her in this book people just hate the character total huh and i know a lot of it comes from that horrendous yeah. date in hogsmeade i understand that and the you know uh, she she's crying a lot i i like i get it yeah. but also just as Harry's emo and Harry's emo for reasons, there's reasons why she's a little emotionally broken in five. Yes. It's not coming out of nowhere. So well, let's take the details of her character out and not just paint a broad brush of like a really bad date and like something else and she's a terrible character. Like yeah. let's fine tooth comb that a little bit more, which we'll do in the rest yeah. of four and five. Um, so I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah. There might be some hot takes to come. And there might not be. I might go, oh, no, right. This is an awful character. Who knows? We'll see where it goes. <laughs> so. I like that um, she hints at the crush 
I like that there's a build-up for that. And I like that it's a build-up on both sides. From, like, book three. No, I know. That's why I wish that she would have done it with Ginny. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, (laughs) You're not wrong. Because I thought she did a good job with Cho, with building it up with Cho. Speaking of building the groundwork, wow, (laughs) you set me right up for this. You're Uh, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Laying the groundwork for summoning charms. Uh, They are really laying it on thick about... Harry struggling with summoning charms, and yep. Hermione trying to help him with summoning charms, like chapters ahead of where this will eventually pay off. Yeah. Which I appreciate. Yes. I also liked how him struggling with summoning charms so aggressively, terribly, and Hermione linking it to, well, you're not concentrating. Like, yeah. you have to be present in this, like Moody was saying with the unforgivable curses, you have to be present in the spell and you have to mean it in yep. a way. Like, you have to be there with the spell. You can't just be like, swish and flick, <laughs> and it'll yeah. float. Like, you have to actually be present with it. Yeah. Uh, which I kind of like that aspect of magic. Which yeah. Which they don't really ever go into, except in these side little details where you have to expound it. But Yeah. It's uh, also just another example of, like, Hermione does really understand a lot about magic and how to make it work. And people. Yeah. Like, both. Like, she'd make a great teacher. Yeah. Uh, if she decided to go that route, which yeah. she doesn't, but... Um, the other thing I took issue with uh, right. in this chapter was Moody being able to see through the cloak. Okay, why? Because that cloak is not like other cloaks. If that cloak was just your run-of-the-mill invisibility cloak, totally fine with it. Okay. It doesn't bother me at all. Makes a ton of sense. That eye looking through an invisibility cloak that someone like enchanted, fine. Okay. This one, in theory, being the Deathly Hallow, Mm-hmm. From made from Death's own cloak, who hid that individual from the mythical godlike character of Death. All right, I get your point. Why is Moody able to see through it? <laughs> like, it bugs the heck out of me. Okay, that's fair. Like, uh, it bothers me. And I, and I don't know if she's come up with the Hallow idea yet or how in-depth she wanted to go with it yet. Yeah. Well, but that seems inconsistent. That's interesting because it's book four, so you would figure that she's got to have some sort some of idea. idea of where she's going mm-hmm. with it. Um, but that's right. That is a good point. That is a very... I don't know if that's meant to show that the eye is just insanely Is it like, powerful, did Moody get that eye from death? <laughs> like, it, what is happening there? Yeah, that's a... that You have a really good point that I didn't think of. That's a... It's a very... It's not just the like one true invisibility cloak it's the cloak that was made to hide from death yeah that's pretty intense it's the perfect cloak yeah it's not something someone enchanted like the magic never fades that's why it's still perfect however many hundreds of years later however i i know that they explained that in book one because they said that they were like well you've got invisibility cloaks but those are just enchanted cloaks but this one is like actually an invisibility cloak and then later on, you find out it's because it's made from... Right. Like, so, the wand is an unbeatable wand. Right. And the cloak is an un. And the stone literally cloak. brings back people from the dead. Well, we know that... Well, sort of. Ish. Could it be working in a different way? Is maybe saying that he saw through the invisibility cloak an oversimplification of what's actually happening? Because we know that the Marauder's Map can still show him even when he's wearing the invisibility cloak well yeah and people can still bump into him like he still physically exists in that spot so maybe it's maybe it doesn't work in a way of seeing through the invisibility cloak maybe it works in a way of like a marauder's map type where it it can detect harry because i don't know how the marauder's map can detect him when he's wearing an invisibility cloak but we know that it can i give you there are context clues that can tell you that Harry is there. Like, Hermione sitting by herself when Ron is over there. Yeah. Is odd. Number two, you could see, like, if he's sitting down, you could see maybe an indent on the chair yeah. that he's sitting. But they do say that he waved, and that was what caught Moody's attention. Yes. And so then they specifically go theory. over and literally whisper right in, like, Harry's ear. Like, they go over, bend low right to Harry, and speak that might be easier to guess just because you know roughly what still it implies you know exactly where he's at which goes against the exact nature of the cloak if he can see him waving that shoots my marauder's map magic theory out the window so i don't know that's a good point i don't like it 
Yeah, it really bothered me in this yeah. chapter. I'm like, no, that, that's shouldn't, fair. that shouldn't happen. Didn't even think of it, but that's a good point. Mm-hmm. So, I'm with you on that one. Oh my gosh, I've gotten someone on my side. It's a miracle. Uh, I don't think we ever get an explanation for that. Um, I don't think we do either. I don't think we will ever. Nope. So, do you have anything else? Um, just gotta live with it. Do you have um, any other spoiler? I just, not, they're not really like spoilers. I mean, they're spoilers, but they're not anything that's, I don't think, terribly in depth. What you um, got? Uh, also talking about Moody, I liked that there was another example of him not eating and only drinking from his flask because it paints this like it, it fits in with what you know about the character that he's doing it because he's worried that people are going to poison him but really adds to the twist at the end where he's actually not moody and drinking from his polyjuice potion flask which I just I like how she I think she does a really good job of um Jakey does a really good job of foreshadowing and like weaving in little details that when I first read it it's something that you're like, oh yeah, it's just his character. Like, I don't really think anything, especially when I was a kid, but like, I don't really think anything of like them mentioning that. I think it's just like, they're adding color to the story or they're giving other examples of his character. And then later on when you find out it's actually very relevant to the twist, it's like, I like that she weaves those things in there. I'm going to ask a potentially inflammatory question. Ooh, okay. We've talked about Peter Pettigrew and gone into his character. We talked a little bit about Fudge and gone into his character. Yeah. Snape, you brought up in the last uh, episode. Is Mad Eye Moody slash Barty Crouch Jr. Okay. Like so that this guy. iteration, yes. Yeah. Is he the best written character in the series? That is a very tough question. I know that you really like him. Can I give a little reason why I'm asking? That, like, yeah. why that popped into my head? Of course. You just said how like subtle it is. Is like drinking from the flask. It's a little detail, but yeah. on rereads, you're like that details everything. Yeah. And it's so subtly done. Yeah. Versus, for example, the uh, Peter Pettigrew Scabbers twist, which was a massive twist. Yes. But on rereads, that one's fairly obvious to see because it's like Scabbers is mentioned like every other. Page like yeah. it's scabbers, 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 scabbers. He when he wasn't mentioned before, and it's like clearly the rat is something. Yeah. Because it otherwise, why is it mentioned at every other page? Yeah. Or uh, Ginny in book two. It's like Ginny looks weird. Ginny looks a little sick. Ginny's off. Ginny, 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 Ginny. Yeah. Clearly, she's a key to this whole thing. Poke, 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 poke. So when there's a big twist, this. Maybe Snape. Snape is probably up there, because that was a big, like... I was actually going to say Snape. That's fair. For as much as I just ranted about him in the in the <laughs> last one. But I would put that with the caveat of, I think he's better written in Half-Blood Prince and Deathly Hallows than the... Like, if you're looking at a subset of things... Sure. I think those two for him wins out, but if you're looking at the whole series... That's a lot harder, because I don't think he's written well in the first few books. So even though the twist happens, and what Snape is, is canon fact, right? Yeah. Some people don't like the twist itself. They don't buy it. They don't like, oh, that's like him and Lily being a thing, or like what else. There are some people that like the always line. People hate the always line. Why? Uh, they don't like Snape, so they don't think that that's a viable turn interesting you know what i mean yeah versus moody when everything's leading up to it it's so subtle that even on like multiple rereads you're like oh wait this detail's in here that's an interesting detail oh wait barty Crouch is really playing this really really well yeah like if you really didn't know you don't know you know what i mean that's why i just asked the question i yeah i get it and i, and I get where you're and i'm basing it on twist it. for the like, yeah. I'm basing this on, like, here's a character set up, and then there's, like, some sort of twist. Because obviously people are going to say, like, well, Harry Potter's a well-written character. I get that. Yeah. Or Hermione's a phenomenal... Well, or Lupin's a great character. I get all of that. But, like, with a twist involved specifically? I always liked... I don't know. I really got to think about this. Sorry to drop that one on you. No, this is, this is, a, this is an intense one, and I'm, and I'm trying to think of it fairly quickly the the first couple books are pretty simple 
when it comes to the twists for them. Right. Uh, Quirrell, Quirrell's an interesting one in the first book because it's, again, you don't really... I, at least well, I they set you up for Snape up being the yeah, guy. Yeah, they really... She does a good job of misdirecting. The That's second fair. one's... Quirrell's not bad. Yeah, second and third ones, I agree. They're more obvious. But Quirrell's like... The, the only thing that Quirrell doesn't get is he's more of a passive character throughout the book. Like, right. Moody is front and center through this whole yeah. thing. No, he is. He's a... He's a... And there are so many places, too, where um, on the rereads, it's much more uncomfortable to uh, see the interactions between Moody and Harry, which yeah. I think is it's a good level. Like when uh, Harry gets stuck on the sh- on the stair and he loses the Marauder's Map and Moody gets all excited that there's the Marauder's Map. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it just makes you uncomfortable on the reread because... Initially, you're reading and you're like, "Oh, you hope that you know he's not gonna give Harry detention or something." And then on the reread, you're like, "Oh, he's thinking about all the different ways he can use that map." And it's just, you know, like it does add another level to it. So, I mean, maybe I'm talking myself into that, but I, I get what you're saying. I, I do think it's a very good characterization. I think it's a really good twist, and you don't see it coming. Um, I think that the twists that she, I'm gonna cop out with this. I think the twists that she has in the later books are just really well written. Okay. It's just a thought that, I don't know that I even have an answer either. Yeah. Really, it's just a thought that popped in my head is like, he is a really well written, front to back character. It's a, I think that it's a really well written book. Yeah. Like the, the way that it's structured and the characters and the foreshadowing that's she gives are it's very well done and you don't get that same level in the other books because there are always other things kind of going on like this is kind of like a contained one too and that's kind of nice minus the second chapter which is the worst chapter in all of the series but which, other than that yeah. wait was that the one julie really hated no that's the one i really hated that was when you really it's, hated. uh chapter two the scar where nothing really happens it's just literally them recapping just gotta, it's all things set in the mood the only interesting thing was apparently sirius is sending letters via toucan or something like that large tropical Aww. birds which is great but i mean that's essentially what's going on anyway <laughs> i'm gonna be thinking now about this like foreshadowing twist characterization i mean it's a testament to her writing that there are several options to choose from dumbledore are... is a really good one too oh yeah yeah uh i mean yes you're right like I said, I, I haven't yeah. made up my mind necessarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. no, there are a lot of options. There are. But I'm just tossing the Moody Crouch combo. Yeah. It's a contender. Into the ring. Absolutely know? a contender. So, I don't know. Let us know what you think. It might be the most well-written character with a twist. Yeah. That has some sort of twist to him or her uh, in the books. Um, yeah. Anything else? Uh, one last thing that yes. I wanted to point out. Uh, that I mentioned earlier, Crumb being very studious, another good example of foreshadowing, which I very much love because he's not really in the library for the book. You don't know that, he's Jen. Not. He can be reading. You know he's not. He's a he's, champion. He can be reading, but he's not there for the books. So you're saying he doesn't need books. He's so talented. He's like, nah, I got this. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Uh, yeah, obviously there's an alternative reason that he's there. Maybe he's just double dipping. Maybe he's got the best of both worlds going. Maybe we've severely underestimated him and he's a great multitasker. I think that there is more to Crumb than meets the eye. I think he's a more well-rounded individual than most give him credit for. I actually really like Crumb. Do you? I don't know if we're supposed to. Because I feel like when I read it, we're supposed to take, like, Ron's side... And, like, understand Ron's, like, jealousy of Crumb and, like, fraternizing with the enemy a little bit. But, like... Well, he also, to Hermione's point, he flips hard. Because he is a fanboy hardcore. Yeah. I... That's why I've said, like, we need to take a second and look at Crumb a little bit more. Because some of the things that he's been doing early on are interesting. You don't expect a person of his stature to be making some of the decisions or some of the comments that he's made so far. And I think it's worth a look. Yeah. 
Uh, we just got to pick a slower chapter that we can actually dig well, into Crumb a little bit. It would be a really good one, too, to do a bit more of a, of a dive into Crumb in the later chapter when Harry runs into Crumb outside the Forbidden Forest, and then I think Crumb gets stung. Or, yeah, uh, 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 it, you know, you could also do it in the, in the maze, because they have an interaction maze. in the maze. Maze would be a good one. But he's, he's much more of a benevolent character. Or you can also do it in Deathly Hallows when they meet at the wedding. Oh, I forgot about that. And he's still holding Floor invited him, yeah. He's still holding a torch for Hermione, isn't he? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I like that internet. I just, I like Crumb. I like that she, like, that they become pen pals, too. I think that's cute. What would their ship name be? What's that ship name? That's not an easy one. It's not. <laughs> Hermione? <Yeah. laughs> like, I don't understand. Hermione or... or Herm? Yeah, I was gonna say Herm, but like that's not even Herm. I don't know. Doesn't doesn't flow. No, it doesn't flow as well as like some of the others that we've come up with on the podcast. Yeah. But at the end at the end of this podcast, we're gonna have a couple of polls of what's the best ship name that we've come up with. Oh boy. It'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> not what's the best ship out there, just what's the best ship name that we specifically that we have created. Came up yes. With. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Herm better be on there. Herm. It's so bad. Yes, there's just not a good one. That's no. that's how you know it wasn't destined to be. Yeah. Like, you can't even make one up. I mean, Kermione is probably the least objectionable. It's still pretty bad. It's still really bad. <laughs> anyway, uh, on that <laughs> note, we will leave you here. Uh, thanks for listening. Let us know what you guys think uh, on Twitter and Instagram. We really appreciate all of the support that we've gotten lately. It's been awesome uh, to see and kind of interact with all of you guys. But we will see you uh, next week for Chapter 20. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.